Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Latino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also interact with us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. We're going to get into a number of transactions that the Giants had take place over the last few days. They officially announced the signing of two more draft picks, as well as re-signing defensive lineman John Jenkins. We'll also get into some of the reports I'm sure that you've heard with respect to a particular offensive lineman who is a free agent, but nothing is official with respect to the Giants. So a lot to tackle over the next hour. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. First, in terms of the official transactions, the Giants have signed two more of their draft picks. They have signed Darius Slayton, the wide receiver out of Auburn, Chris Slayton, the defensive lineman out of Syracuse. So those are official, and they're bringing back defensive lineman John Jenkins, who did not see much action with the Giants last year, but was on the roster. And at this point, Paul, you've got 90 guys on the roster. They're looking to bring in as much competition as possible, and you have a player who's familiar with James Betcher's scheme because he's been here, and we'll see whether or not he can try to solidify a roster spot. But that defensive line position, keep in mind, is gaining a lot of volume between free agency, between the draft. This is going to be some mm -hmm. competition. I think it's going to be very interesting to see the roles that players take on and who exactly is going to position themselves in the driver's seat once we get to the heart of training camp here. Well, I mean, like we've talked about, there are 90 spots available as this team goes through the summer and figures out and sorts through exactly who's going to make the team. I get the fact that Dave Gettleman has decided and he had said earlier in the year, by the way, he was not going to fill up all 90 right away. Correct. Remember that? That was before they signed some undrafted free agents. He right. made that pretty clear. Right. So I don't know what his plan is. Does he plan to go in with 80 or 85? Or maybe he plans to go in with 90, but isn't going to go in with 90 until the very last minute. Maybe he's going to wait to fill it up until then. I, I don't know. What I do know is this. He does appear to have a preference to have some flexibility there I don't think he and, and somebody would say well why well here's why because you do have to give some money to every guy that you sign okay the Giants are going to be in great salary cap position next year but not necessarily this year and when you start signing these guys now even though it's token change in a lot of instances a lot of these guys are, are, are signing for minimals you still, in some cases, are giving them small nickel and dime signing bonuses. Well, those things add up, okay? If you sign 20 guys and you're giving each one of those guys, I don't know, however much nickels and dime signing bonuses just to sign the deal and come on to your 90, well, guess what? It's not just a throwaway if you get rid of that guy because you're going to have to be on the hook for all the, the nickel and dime signing bonuses, which, again, they will accumulate and they will count against your cap. So I think Gettleman is being very discerning in how many guys he wants to sign and who many guy how and who he wants to sign as he starts to collect pieces to increase the competition on his depth chart. And I think philosophically I'm on safe ground when I say that. Dave and I have not had a specific conversation regarding this topic, but I'm pretty sure that's where he's going right now. I agree with you. I think two things related to that, Paul. Another comment that Dave Gettleman, remember, brought up in his final press conference after the draft was, you never draft a guy 
that you don't think at least has a legitimate shot to make the roster. So I think the same goes for you're not going to bring back a free agent or bring in a free agent. Nobody's saying that they're going to make the roster, but who at least you don't think has some potential to make the roster. So I think it's the same philosophy that's in alignment with what you were talking about. And the other factor is players that you eventually sign during the season because of injuries count against the cap too, and you have to have money left over to do that. So you always need to be thinking in the back of your mind. And remember, you know, the Giants have had some seasons where unfortunately they've been hit by the injury bug, and you're signing sometimes 10 guys here or there, 12 guys here or there. You know, the money doesn't grow on trees, to your point. You need to have some flexibility within the cap. So I think that's part of the logic, too, why there's not necessarily an overwhelming urgency to fill up the 90-man roster immediately. Plus, they may want to bring in some other free agents who are still out there because you just don't know how injuries are going to play out in OTAs before training camp, which brings us to, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard, according to multiple reports, and let's emphasize this once again, it's completely unofficial. No announcement whatsoever by the Giants, but we're not naive. We're aware of the reports that are out there. And Mike Remmer's agent, a veteran offensive lineman, went on Twitter over the weekend and had mentioned that his client, as well as the Giants, have agreed in principle to a deal. But once again, nothing official, nothing signed. If anything does take place, the Giants will be the first to let the public know. But right now, we're operating under this being a completely unofficial job. With that being said, Paul, Mike Remmers is a veteran offensive lineman. And what jumps out about him, if the deal does officially get done, is he's played four of the five positions on the offensive line during the course of his career. He also has connections to both Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman. He played for the Carolina Panthers, helped them go to the Super Bowl the year they lost to Denver, so he has ties to Gettleman there, and each of the last two seasons with the Vikings, in which he's crossed paths with Pat Shermer. So there's familiarity, and there's also versatility, I think, that comes to mind when you talk about this veteran offensive line. Center, the only position he has not played in the NFL, and there's also a connection to Mike Shula, who was uh, right. he the was assistant coach too. with the Panthers while Gettleman was there. So he is very well known amongst the Giants' hierarchy, uh, a veteran player who scraps, uh, fights, doesn't always look pretty in getting the job done, but does help prevent guys from getting to your quarterback. Uh, I think for me, the thing you need to remember is that last year, playing with the Vikings, he was moved inside to right guard because they had a need to do so. He did not have a particularly great year, but the Vikings did invite him back for a pay cut. He declined. His agent said that they'd rather be set free where they could shop for their own deal and potentially get him back to being a starting right tackle, a position where he's most comfortable being. And, of course, uh, coming off of a back injury at the end of last year, he had to do some rehab for that. And Dave Gettleman himself uh, said a couple of months ago, about a month or so ago, actually, that they did expect to revisit the Remmer situation, and uh, he was on their radar. So not at all a surprise. Hopefully everything works out and the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted, and Remmer's does fit in nicely in what I believe on paper would then be the Giants' best starting five offensive linemen since the Super Bowl season of 2011. He is an upgrade. He is not a Pro Bowl caliber player, but he is a solid, steady, middle-of-the-road offensive tackle in this league. You know, uh, not to be confused with a Hall of Famer or a Pro Bowler, but he's a good player, a solid, sturdy player. And again, good effort guy. You combine him with Zeitler on the right side, 
And that's uh, that's going to be a pretty good feeling there for, for Eli Manning, at least if he should nail that job down. I would anticipate they believe that he will. Otherwise, why would you bring him in? But again, I'm sure he's going to be told, we think it's going to happen, but come in and win it. Well, and at least on the surface, if this deal does get done, he will compete with Chad Wheeler. Correct. Who still has plenty of experience at right tackle with the Giants and their seventh-round pick out of Kentucky this year, Georgia Safo Ajay. So there's going to be a competition there, but you would think a veteran would at least be in the driver's seat given what he has done over the course of his career. And this is a player that was undrafted in 2012 out of Oregon State, moved around a few practice squads, the Broncos, the Bucks. Then finally made the roster of the San Diego Chargers. He was then with the Vikings. He was on the Rams practice squad. And 2014 was really a turning point in his career where he came in, made the 53 for the Panthers. Later that season, took over at right tackle. And the rest is history because he helped them eventually get to a Super Bowl. He went to the Vikings for 17-18. And as Paul mentioned, since he couldn't work out a new deal with the Vikings, he was let go. So he's been on the free agent market. And... Right now, unofficial, but it could become official depending on whether or not both sides put the deal to paper and they sign on the dotted line. But we are still addressing the reports that are out there that started with his agent over the course of the weekend. You brought up some of Dave Gettleman's comments before the draft or right around the time of the draft. So I want to just emphasize what Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer said. So this is from the transcript I'm reading of the press conference from April 27th. The media asked Dave Gettleman, we know Remmers came in for a visit a month ago. Any update on where that stands? Dave Gettleman's response, well, he's still rehabbing to the back injury that you pointed out, Paul, and we're continuing to talk with him, so we will see. Follow-up question was, are you optimistic that that could happen? Dave Gettleman said, quote, time will tell, got a rehab, going to bring him in and take another look eventually, end quote. That's essentially the plan then, the question was, bring him in another time. Pat Shermer's response, we had a good visit when he was in. And then one more follow-up to Dave Gettleman. Did you feel like only taking one offensive lineman? It seems like you're leaving yourself a little light. That's why Remmers. And Dave Gettleman's answer was, quote, right, no, it makes sense, end quote. Meaning it makes sense to bring in or pursue a veteran given the fact that they only drafted one offensive lineman and Chad Wheeler is the incumbent still on the roster. And you know what? Let's also take a look at this for just a second. Uh, Dave Gettleman does want to win games this season. Now, we get the fact that he took the quarterback number six, and that's a future pick. But everything else that Dave Gettleman has done in this offseason, whether it was a free agent, whether it was a trade, or whether uh, you look at the remaining draft choices that he selected after the number one pick, all of those things are going to be 2019 producers. All of them. The rookies, of course, will produce for years to come as well. But but all of those guys are going to compete for snaps now. So really, what Dave Gettleman has done, he's paved both ways at once. He has paved the way to get this team younger for the next three or four years for the future. But he's also gotten guys who should improve the roster effective immediately. And so... Yes, it is possible to do both. And I think he, right now, to this point, has structured this team to do exactly that. Well, I've always argued, Paul, and we've had these conversations more often than not. 
it can be achieved simultaneously. There's no rule in the NFL that just because you're tweaking your roster and your emphasis is to build it up through draft assets, that at the same time, it's impossible to have veterans on your roster. You got 53 guys on a roster. They're all not going to be one or two years into the league. There's going to be a mix. The Colts, to me, are a great example of what Chris Ballard has done in Indianapolis. He's building the team through the draft, but at the same time, if you peruse that roster, there's plenty of veterans who bring experience to the table because you want balance on your roster. You just want to get to a point, Paul, where the nucleus, meaning the main core of your roster, is being built through the draft, and usually staggered is the best way to go about it because you don't want to have everybody having an expiring contract at the same time, but at the same time, you also want to have those veterans to round out your roster to also serve as guidance and mentors for the young guys that are coming in. It can be done simultaneous. This whole myth that when you're rebuilding, retweaking, retooling, whatever anybody wants to make it seem, that it's impossible to be competitive at the same time. I don't know where this narrative started because I could give you plenty of examples where you have a young core and at the same time you can still be a competitive team. It's happened more often than not. Within well, the NFL. Well, and, and I believe that, you know, when you consider what the Giants have done, uh, they've signed or traded for a bunch of younger veterans, okay, to add to the rookie crop when yeah, they like drafted. like the Jabril Peppers of the world you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and, you know, you can't say enough that, okay, great. It's wonderful to get younger. It's wonderful to draft 10 rookies in the draft and say, we're going to rebuild our team with youth and exciting players and talented players who have a lot of upside. But the truth is, you have to mix them with some veterans to show them the way. You can't just be totally void of older players on your roster. You have to have guys who've had experience in this league. They've got to, they've got to tell people how to get it done. So I give Dave credit because he has gone out and acquired guys like Zeitler, uh, Remmers appears to be next on deck. We're talking about guys who are right around that 30 mark or younger. Okay? Antoine Bethea, the exception. The one guy who's 34. He really is on the other side of that hill. Other than that... But still producing, though. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but other than him, look at all the other veterans who are new to this Giants roster. They're all, if I'm not mistaken, 31 or less. 31 or under. I don't think there's another guy outside of Bethay who they brought in who might who might be even 31 years old. Are you including also the guys that they re-signed? Just out of curiosity? No, no. I'm talking about guys talking about who were brought in from the outside. Yeah, but, okay, so you're talking about the new faces that have arrived well, in free agency. Golden, yep. right? Zeitler, Peppers, they were in trades, yep. right? Though, you know, perhaps Remmers now. Uh, Peppers. Rod Smith, the running back. Would be another guy. They're they're all younger type veterans. That's there. There's something to be said for that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking at the ages of the roster right now, and I mean, you see very few even 30-year-olds when you go top to bottom. But remember, it's a young man's game. You could be 25 and still have played a few seasons in the NFL. It's nobody saying that they got to have 10-year vets on the team, but a guy who's a five- or a six-year veteran is perfectly suitable to provide enough experience. So, for example, I mean, Michael Thomas, he's 29, and Thomas, six years in the league. That's the ballpark that we're talking about in terms of perhaps rounding out this roster. 
201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. Reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Let's open up the phone lines as we move through this program till the top of the hour. Merrill is in Manchester, New Jersey. Merrill, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? much. First of all, Jeff, thank you for all the good memories. Well, Jeff is not hosting today's program, so I'm not exactly sure who you're talking to. <laughs> That's okay. We'll tell him. <laughs> we will I'm pass sorry. on the message. I'm sorry. Yes. But this, this comment is for you, Paul. Okay. You were looking for unsung heroes for the Giants. Okay. I've got, I've got two. Aaron Thomas is one. Number two would be a guy that I just admired. I used to watch the Giants play the Eagles in Princeton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palmer Stadium. Yeah, that's right. And I saw Joe Morrison mm-hmm. make, a catch, make a catch, carry four guys with him for about 10 yards. And he played about four positions, of, if I'm not mistaken. Offense and defense, both. There you go. Yeah, he was a wide receiver. He was a running back. He was a defensive back. He was all over the place. And Mor- Morrison, Morrison, by the way, interesting. You know, afterwards, uh, number forty, by the way, uh, Lance. Yes, I know I you're know. a little young. Well, little I young. mean, I know the player you're referring. Joe, Joe later on, uh, obviously went to South Carolina, became a head coach of the Gamecocks. Unfortunately, passed away of a heart attack much too young. But but much he he was a Giants giant. Uh, Aaron Thomas. You know, the funny part about Aaron Thomas playing during the, the Tittle era, um, you're right. Most people think about Rote. They think about Gifford. They think about Schaffner. Then after that, they think about Homer Jones. Aaron Thomas did a lot of good things for this team. So I, I agree with you in that he doesn't get the pub that a lot of people get from that era. Uh, I mean, when, when Tittle was winging it all around the, the field, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for for all those guys because let's face it, you and I both know they did not have a great round a ground attack. That was not a very good running team. That was a team that was based on Tittle's arm. Yep. So interesting point that you bring up, and I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's always good to hear from some of the uh, the old school guys. Yes, well, thank you very much for your show, guys. It's really good. Thank Hi, you. Mar- appreciate the phone call. Thanks Tom- so much Tom for chiming in. Tom is a very solid receiver, had terrific hands. And, uh, you know, again, why Tittle was the Dan Marino of his era. You know, he was putting up 30 touchdown passes when people were not supposed to be doing it. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just a shame that, unfortunately, he went to three NFL championship games and they lost all three. You know, they were the they were the Bills and the Vikings before the Bills and the Vikings in terms of not being able to nail it down. Well, it's more of a reason why I claim quarterback records don't tell the whole story. Yeah, exactly. And that, to me, is yet another example that emphasizes that. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Lance and Paul, it's always great to talk to you guys. Hi. I, I just want to throw a, a couple things at you guys just to get your comments. Um one of the players that I think has a real chance to make an impact this year um, and, and is, is Ryan Connolly, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. And um, I, I think the thing is, if you look kind of underneath the hood at him, um, his, his area, one, he was very well known for just being able to diagnose and read real fast. And the other one is his short area quickness. And, and, and if you look at those two things, he graded out really well mm-hmm. in both of recognition and short area quickness. And I, I think he's got a real chance to play more than just a backup special teams role. I, I think he's going to push 
B.J. Goodson. I'd just like to see your guys' thoughts on that. Well, he was an interior linebacker at Wisconsin, to your point, and he was somebody who they looked at as sort of a captain on the field because he was the voice of the defensive coordinator where get guys lined up and get guys set up. And I will tell you this, he's already, Dave, made a strong impression on James Betcher because when Betcher spoke to the media last week, he said he doesn't like to show the veterans clips of the rookies. He purposely Correct. doesn't like to do that because he doesn't want to put them on a pedestal and he could not shy away from showing them a clip or two of Ryan Connolly from rookie minicamp because he said there was a play where Ryan Connolly read a route, diagnosed it perfectly, and defended it exactly how they teach it in the film room, and he wanted to use that as an example for the vets and played it for them and said, hey, guys, this is what we're talking about. When, you show, when we show it to you in the film room, we want you to then carry out and execute it to perfection like this on the practice field. So... That alone says that he's a very smart player and is catching on to what the Giants are preaching. And I think they're going to give him every opportunity to get on the field. But I don't think, Dave, it's a knock against him. And I don't think you were saying this. I'm not trying to put words in. If at least in the initial stages that his biggest impact is in special teams. Because remember, this special teams unit, Paul, made huge strides. Last year. Yep. I, I don't think enough people talk about that. They were top three yeah. in the league. So you need to continue to bring in talent. And I'm not talking about the return. I'm talking about the guys on coverage. The guys that are in perfect position to make tackles. They made such a huge stride in that department. If you can now bring in a rookie that's going to come in day one and continue to chip in in that department, I actually think that that's a perfect role for him. Now, here's the interesting part about Connolly. and doing some research on him and talking to the people out there at Wisconsin as well. Uh, he is a good blitzer. He does have speed and quickness. You mentioned the short area footwork specifically. Uh, that's why there are some folks who think he is going to be actually pretty good in some in some coverage things here in the NFL. I don't know. Right now, that's a projection. We can't say that for sure. But but what we do know from looking at him at Wisconsin, besides the brains which he's already exhibited here at the rookie camp, is that he does have some speed and quickness on the blitz and I'm curious to see if they use him when he does get into the game and again if BJ Goodson is healthy which knock on wood he will be but you know he's had trouble it's doing so at times if he stays on the field I think he's a little bit more of a thumper and a hitter than Connolly is Connolly seems to be more of a of of a Kavika Mitchell kind of guy if you remember when yep. Kavika Mitchell got yep. to the Giants Mitchell wasn't a great coverage guy. He also yep. wasn't a great sideline-to-sideline side guy. But what Kavika Mitchell did extremely well was diagnose a play, and he usually was in the right gap at the right time. And he was also very good at attacking forward and making plays in the crease or in the backfield. They used him yep. very often on the blitz, too. So I, I, I love it, Paul. You're you're 100 right, and maybe, maybe um, that's where Connolly's niche is. Maybe he's more than that. We're just gonna have to see. I I, I think he's gonna show it. I mean, you know, training camp will 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 show that. The the one last thing I would leave with you guys. It's always great talking with you. Is you know the whole the whole thought of you know the plan and Gettleman doesn't have a plan and Giants don't have a plan and. You know, and, 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 and all the kind of pause you say, which I think is accurate, all the clickbait sort of stuff that's so easy to talk about. I think one of the things this year that was really under the radar is 
the trade that they made for OV for the guard that that they got from Cleveland. Zeitler, yeah. Zeitler, and, and and I think you know you really have to sit there and say, hey, look, if you rank OV, and and I and I was a fan of his when he was on the field, and and he was you know I would say good, not not great. But the bottom line is that guard is higher rated and more impactful um, on a team than, than OV was. And, and you know, OV might have been a top 15, 20 guy. This guy's a top five, top 10 guard. And, the, and more importantly is what he does for your best player on the field. You know, people lose the sense in football. We get all into fantasy football and every, all these individuals. It's not about an individual sport. It's what you can do for other players. And so to bring in a guard like him and expect a step up from Hernandez, this is the – I look at our two guards, and I'm finally back to Snee and Soiber. you know. I'm back <laughs> to where we could pull our guards and actually expect or our guards to be, you know, to be tough. And you, you're hearing that. And, 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 the, and the bottom line is we're handing it off to a running back now who is if that defense makes one mistake, he's gone. They've got to fill their gaps perfectly. He's going to make the first defender miss, and then all they need is one mistake, and, and that guy takes it to the house. So I, I just would like to, you know, that to me, for, for, for them to get all sorts of, you know, for Gettleman and all the negativity, they, they need to be able to look at that move and say that was a great trade on its own. I'd love to get your guys' comments, and I'll take it off air. Thanks so much. All right, Dave. Appreciate sure. the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Well, let's consider the fact that Zeitler should only be in the middle of his career. This is a guy who barely turned 30, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's not just for now. Zeitler should be part of this offensive line for several oh, yeah, years to come. Oh, yeah, he's got a rental for just this season. Which, which, which is really what makes this a valuable deal because he's not just a stopgap guy. I mean, think about this for just a second. Pulley's, what, 27? Pulley is, let's see here, on my laundry list of players that I'm looking through. Pulley is 26. Okay. Jalapio, 28? 27. 27. Okay, so whoever wins there, that's a sub-30. And Zeitler's 29. He hasn't even All right, Zeitler's an even yeah. 30. I, 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 I thought he might have edged there. Okay. Paul Park. Okay. Hernandez is second-year yeah, pro. Hernandez, 23. Okay. Remmers is a shade under 31, I believe. Right. Remmers is 30. He just turned 30 in April. Okay. So it's not unthinkable to think that this offensive line, outside of Solder, and we don't know. I mean, he's he is the grandfather of, of, the, of, the, of the starting line. I know people bust on my horns when I say that. I, I use that respectfully and, and, and with thoughts of affinity. When I call a guy a grandfather, he's like the grandfather of the line because he truly is the gray beard. He's got the most experience. The eldest statesman is what I've been told to call some of these old guys. Maybe more politically correct. Yeah. Fine. Whatever. Uh, bottom line is uh, he's the guy who is more advanced in age than the rest of the line. It's not unthinkable to think that this line could be together for the next three years. No, I don't as think a that's crazy. As a fivesome, right? Possible? Well, to me, it's not so much age, Paul. It's about how many years have they been in the league? Because wear and tear, especially for an offensive lineman, is much more important to weigh than necessarily age. Well, let's see. Well, we, I, I have it right here in front of me. Hernandez, Hernandez Young, yeah. fully young, but and also not not got a lot of wear and tear on Correct. him. Correct. Zeitler's been durable. Zeitler, we're talking eight seasons. Okay, and durable. Okay. Yeah. Remmers, 
Again, we got to see what the back situation is. And actually, Solder's been darn durable during his career. Yeah. I mean, this is why if you're a Giants fan, not only should you be excited about how much better this team is in 2019, you should be saying, my goodness, this offensive line, and of course, there's a draft coming up in April of 2020, and don't be shocked if they go and get another offensive lineman in that draft in April. At least they've got the building blocks now to say moving forward, they've got a functional offensive line that they shouldn't be sweating bullets over during the course of the offseason, which they have done since the 2011 Super Bowl year. That, to me, is a huge load off of the minds of the front office. That That's like, say, guys, clear out all the aspirin in, 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 the, uh, in the closet, <laughs> relax a little bit, we now have the semblance of a foundation that you can build something on. That's why it's so important. Well, we always talk about the offensive line sets the tone for the rest of the team. I think Giants fans know that firsthand over the last few years. So the Giants went out. They addressed that through free agency, specifically through trades. Kevin Zeitler. Now, getting back to the question that the last caller posed in terms of you know what Vernon provided the team versus Zeitler, I would say this. Defensive linemen can help players around them. And I'm not saying that the caller was heading in the direction where he was saying that defensive players don't help each other, but you have a really good pass rusher. He draws double teams. He draws attention. It's going to free things up for the rest of the team. You have a nose tackle that collapses the pocket. It's going to now loosen things up off the edge for the pass rushers. So that could go hand-in-hand too. But if you were to weigh, well, they're going in a younger direction on the defensive front to begin with. They only had 30 sacks last season as a team. If you remove Vernon from the equation, you're looking to groom some young guys and you're hoping the conglomeration of all these young guys leads to pressure opportunities. Then, yes, I could certainly see it the way of Zeitler could very well have more of a significant impact from an individual standpoint than maybe Vernon if he was still on the team because of what Zeitler could do for pass protection, run protection, and the overall play of the offensive line. So I don't think that's a a far stretch. But all I'm saying is, is there are situations, Paul, where defensive linemen, their presence doesn't just help themselves, but it also helps the guys around them. And we've seen that, and I can list a number of guys, for example, like an Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald helps everybody else on the defensive front for the Rams. No doubt. Von Miller helps everybody else out who's in the mix of the Broncos' defense. What the Giants have done this offseason is replaced Vernon and Barwin with X-Man and Golden. Okay? That's the two-for-two swap that you've seen. Now, they're also counting on improvement out of Lorenzo Carter. That he'll make strides. Yeah. So that's why I said it's more of like a group effort type of thing. And Golden, who has had double-digit sacks in his career, it's not as if that's unknown. But the question with Golden is, it's a show me does thing. he take a step forward from the torn ACL? And James Betcher even admitted that. Because James Betcher, by the way, when he spoke to the media, he actually said that Marcus Golden, and I'm paraphrasing, it could be probably the most underrated addition to this roster because people forget he was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL before the torn ACL, which I think there's some validity to back and that up. 12 sacks in 2016. Yeah. But it's all about, to your point, what have you done for me lately? It's it's a show-me situation. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely. 
Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light as we move along here, taking your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi, Hi Len. Good, good. Hey, Paul, just a, just a quick one. I've got a uh, signed Tittle jersey hanging in my basement. No kidding. <laughs> Every time I walk by, great memories from that era. Good man, by the way. I take it you met him. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Paul. Did you did you meet him or did you get that from somebody? You could have got it from a no, no, I got that. No, no, I got that from somebody. All right, I I I met YA many many times over before uh, before you know obviously he he fell into some very bad health there at the end. Uh, yes. And and YA also he, said it was the moment of his life. By the way, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Len, what a, what a gentleman's gentleman. I mean, I, I can't tell you enough. Really, really nice. Just humble, humble man who, for all that he did in an era that just did not see that type of explosive passing attack, uh, just a very humble guy who was like everybody's favorite great-grandpa. You know, I mean, he's just a really, really good guy. So I just I throw that out there just to make you feel even better about the jersey. The um, the first video game in my mind was watching Y.A. Tittle. I mean, that was really uh, sure. You know, that was really something. I got I got a local guy here who's a memorabilia fella. Um, Tittle took a liking to him from some of the memorabilia shows. Mm-hmm. And in the last ten years of uh, Y.A.'s life, th- this guy in Laurel, Maryland, who runs a small shop, became Y.A.'s memorabilia guy. He'd go to California and get signings. Oh. The most signed picture of Y.A. Tittle, yeah, and Pittsburgh. Tittle loves to sign him, was the one, you know, the 64 pe- picture of him on his yeah. knees with the bloody head and, yeah. and so forth. But That that helmet's in the Hall of Fame, Len. Yeah. <laughs> I, I took yeah. a picture of it yeah. when I went out to Strahan's Hall of Fame ceremony. I took a picture of the, the broken Tittle helmet. Uh, I believe I posted it uh, that week. I'm, I'm sure I have it somewhere in my computer archives. And... It's amazing that his head didn't break worse than that helmet because it was a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, two two quick points. Great, great, great talk, Paul. Great, great uh, memories. Um, uh, the quarterback situation. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm positive about it. I think we're in pretty good shape here going into the season. What What do you think the real probability is? Is that uh, September eighth opening game? Jones is the number two quarterback and gets a jersey for that game. I'd be very I mean, surprised. He will, have, he will have been with the team for four and a half months. I mean, uh, he will. Uh, at, at that point, um, I see no reason to believe why he wouldn't be well, I think the it's, backup guy at that point. I think it's 50-50, Len. And the reason why I would say this is my personal opinion. I go back to what Shermer's emphasized since he took over as the head coach last year, and he said – he feels comfortable having a veteran quarterback in the backup position because he can go into a game with the fewest amount of reps during the week and still perform at a high level because he knows the offense. If they uh-huh. feel Daniel Jones picks up things, to your point, over the course of these next few months and they see him in the preseason and he has a good feel and they mm-hmm. feel that's enough, then yes, I would say there's a good chance he could be the backup. But if they're still a little iffy and they feel a veteran would know it better like an Alex Tanny, then no, it would not surprise me if Tanny is still a backup. That's asking a lot from Jones in a very short amount of time. And to be honest with you, Len, remember, he's not getting any game experience. Yeah, it's only no. book work and it's practice work. He'll get some preseason snaps, 
But I just think that's too much to ask. And quite frankly, if the Giants are 0-0, obviously, going into the opening game, it just seems to me that you've got to give yourself the best chance to win on that given Sunday if something happens to Manning. And I have to believe that Shermer would feel more comfortable with a veteran having to come in and potentially squeak out a victory, which at that point in the season will still be very, very important because oh you won't goodness. know you won't know where the standings <laughs> oh are going to lie. Important. Oh you know goodness. what I'm saying? That, that would be great. I mean, do you really want uh, Daniel Jones to, to, to have to, to come off point, the bench in Dallas? Um, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't pull this back in my memory. Um, uh, the, the four guys from last year, did they dress that first weekend? Do you know? You're talking about the Giants opener? I mean, I'm not challenging on anything you said. I'm no, just I hear trying you. to recall whether or not those four hotshot quarterbacks from last year actually got a uniform in week one. Well, they I don't did. think any of them started. I don't think any of them started. Well, I, I lost you. Wait, I lost you. In terms of four, you're talking about four quarterbacks? Because they only had three on the no, roster. No, 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 yeah. no. He's talking about the NFL rookies. From last year, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood Donald you. Donald Rosen. They a uniform that first weekend. I, I can't. That's a, no, it's a you, good question. Yes. I'm trying to think. I want to say Rosen believe he I think had he did. because he was the backup I think to he Sam did. Bradford. I think so he did. So Rosen, I, and I'll look that up because it's a good question. And if I don't give you the specific answer today, Len, I'll look to bring it back on tomorrow's show because yeah, it is a, a very interesting thank question. You. Thank you. I appreciate o- that. Off the but top of hey, my head. Let me, let me, can I Rosen, ask you a quick question? Well, 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 be, be, before, um, well but Len, be, before uh, you continue, Len. Real quick. Len, before, um, before you continue, I though, I just want I just want to respond initially at least to your question. And then and then I'll look up the specifics. Just. Just okay. real quickly, Josh Rosen, I believe, had a uniform week one because, like I said, he was the backup to Sam Bradford. Sam Darnold, I believe, he Dar- Darnold started. He, he started against the Lions. He, he, That's he, right. And so he Darnold absolutely, the Lions. yes, Darnold absolutely had a uniform. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. That I would have to look up. And then the fourth one is Baker Mayfield, and Baker was the backup to Tyrod Taylor. So okay. Baker had a uniform. So there's a chance all four indeed. To your yeah. question, had a uniform, but we'll confirm just to get the specifics out there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, quick, thank you. Quick Quick question on the offensive tackle. Actually, a comment. I, you know, I don't think we're through with the offensive line. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about starters. Josh Allen confirmed. But I think so there's, um, even at offensive tackle, I mean, I mean, right tackle, right now, the depth chart's got five guys there. Um, you know, if you count, you know, Big George and the kid they brought in from Missouri, the undrafted free agent who played right tackle for three years in college, uh, Mihalik and Wheeler, and if mm-hmm. rumors, you know, if the rumor is correct, um, we got five guys on the right side. We were almost maybe looking for a swing tackle. You know, I'm not sure. Any of those guys can really handle the left side. I, I really don't think they're through with the offense. Well, line. Remmers now, has again, played left side. Pro. Len, Len, Remmers, if that deal is official, Remmers has experience on the left side in his career. He took over for well, Michael Orr when correct. Michael Orr got hurt. So yeah. he can play both. All right, let me, let me just comment, and then, you know, thanks, thanks for taking my call. You know, just because the guy ex- has played out there doesn't mean he can play out there if you follow my thinking. I mean, no. I, I better mean, better he played out there than he didn't play out there, Len. So you'd rather just have an unknown guy? I'd rather have a guy that has a few reps there. Make me feel a little bit better, no? Yeah, for sure. Okay, all right, guys. Th- yep. Thanks for taking my call. You all right, Len. Appreciate the phone right, call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I mean, 
The Giants have made tremendous strides over the last 16 months trying to rebuild the starting offensive line. You can't build Rome in a day. Len, I appreciate the fact that you'd like to have a nine offensive line member squad all nice and tidy (laughs) and perfect and say, wow, I love all nine of these guys. Len, you're asking for a lot. Okay, right now it looks like it looks like with the addition of Remmers, they'll have the best starting five since the Super Bowl season of 2011. That should put a smile on your face. Do you need backups? Absolutely you do. We talked the other day, I think, on our show. Maybe it was me and Jeff or me and, uh, and John. You know, if you're going to keep nine, let's say, it's going to be at least eight, but probably nine offensive linemen. The loser of the center battle gets one backup spot. Because you leaves, can play guard, too. Right. That leaves that three open. Okay. Um, does Big George get one of them? I don't know. He's still somewhat developmental of a player. I I, I think he's probably more likely practice squad, but maybe he but gets a spot on the 53. At at this point. You can't, right? Yeah. Okay. Wheeler's going to get a spot. So that really, you know, if, if you give Wheeler a spot and you give the loser of the center battle a spot, those are two of your four backups. So now you still have potentially two spots left for backup offensive linemen. Any thoughts? You mean in terms of that's on the roster right now? In terms of who's on the 90 now, who would be your other two backup offensive linemen if you had to make a bet? Well, the fact that Mahalik was on the roster last year, I think he's in the conversation because he at least has experience with the coaching staff and he's gone into a game last year, if you remember, at the tail end of the season. So he would be somebody that I would at least throw out there. All right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take a, take a shot here and go Nick Gates okay, from Nebraska, who I happen to like. And I think he's an interior guy. He's not a tackle. He's a guard. But I like his fight. I know they like his fight. He was a developmental player last year who is a tackle with the Cornhuskers but has to move inside because his feet aren't quick enough to play on the edge. I can see Nick Gates making this team as one of the backups. That's fair. Here's another name, which I think we completely overlooked. What about Evan Brown? Evan Brown was on the team last year. Evan Brown, I think, could be moved around on the interior, Paul, and they were very high on him. I know Shermer multiple Mm -hmm. times spoke very highly of his development. I would not rule him out as perhaps a backup offensive lineman. Okay, so I think he's absolutely in the competition. So, you know, we named about a good four or five guys. Well, still, you want more competition because right there, if you're going to get Brown and I'm going to take Gates and then you got Wheeler – and then you got Big George. Well, there's your four. If those are the four who are going to win, you want competition. So, Len, I get it. You're absolutely right. You do want more competition, but don't sweat it and don't worry about it too much. Because while you do want to have nine solid guys, from where the Giants have come from, just be happy they're as far along as they are. <laughs> well, and here's the other reason if you want to start getting into the numbers game for the 53-man roster, and we're really getting ahead of ourselves because we haven't even had a training camp practice, but I understand speculation rules of this business. I don't know if there's a need for nine for this team, and here's why, Paul. If you look at the potential starters, whether it's Jalapio or Pulley as the starting center, whoever wins the starting job can also play guard in the event of an injury to another interior lineman, okay? So you have versatility there. If the Remmer signing goes through, remember, unofficial in case you're just joining us, 
Remmers also has the versatility to play four different positions. So that means within your starting group, Paul, two of them can be moved around. Mm-hmm. So why would I then take another backup if I know I could play a game of musical chairs a little bit with my starters? That's just my logic and my thinking. Remember, it's a numbers game. If you want depth at other positions, I don't think there's a necessity to necessarily keep nine offensive linemen. I would then keep the other guy on the practice squad, assuming nobody claims it. I guarantee you they'll take eight. Nine may be a flip of the coin. I don't know that it's going to be nine, but it's going to be at least eight. I'm tending to lean toward nine, to be honest. Because I just think you can't have enough of healthy guys who you really like on that 53. And quite honestly, it's better if you don't have to juggle and shuffle guys and move them around. You'd much rather if somebody goes down, just plug in the next guy up for continuity purposes. Because once you start having to move one guy, now one injury affects two spots. Of course. And that's never a good thing. Well, that's why I always refer to it as the game of musical chairs because you just keep moving guys around. They've done enough of that the in the next last that. six years, that haven't they? That going to be the next statement I made. Yeah, absolutely. You want to try to avoid that at all costs. Before we get back to the phone lines here at 201-939-4513, Len, one of our early callers, was bringing up the question about the four quarterbacks. So Dave, our great producer, right on top of this. We don't have to wait till tomorrow to do some more homework. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills played, did not start week one. So he had a uniform. He started week two. Then Tyrod Taylor started for the Browns week one. Baker Mayfield played week three, started week four, but Baker was the main backup, so he had a uniform. Josh Rosen, same thing, played week three, started week four. He was the backup to Sam Bradford, and Sam Darnold, as we mentioned, started week one against the Detroit Lions. So all four of those guys who were drafted in the top ten ultimately got a uniform week one. But remember, keep in mind, Every team is different. Every scenario is different. So, you know, just because the four guys got a uniform last year, and then if you think, well, if Daniel Jones doesn't get a uniform week one, something's wrong, Pat Shermer's philosophy, Paul, is completely different than what Hugh Jackson of the Cleveland Browns is preaching, what Steve Wilkes of the Arizona Cardinals. We could go through all of the head coaches. Mm -hmm. We don't have to bore you. So you have to separate, I think, all of these scenarios, and you can't necessarily group them. And here's the other thing. And as you pointed out, the importance of week one is to have a veteran ready to go. God forbid something happens to Eli Manning. Just because, let's say, Daniel Jones is not the backup week one, Paul, does that mean that Pat Shermer then can't say, I would bring Daniel Jones back week two and give him a uniform? Nothing is etched in stone that the way it structured week one can't change for week two. So don't get so caught up in terms of how depth charts look. Depth charts evolve. They change week to week based on what goes on during practice and that game of injuries. So, once again, I would not read too much between the lines. Let's head back to the phone lines here as we move along to the top of the hour on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Clay is in Brooklyn, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Clay? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. As always. Appreciate it. Uh, Just wanted to say that I'm really looking forward to next year. First of all, I think we've gotten better at a few positions, even though obviously, you know, we lose Odell, we lose uh, Olivier, but I think the offensive line is significantly better, and I think the defensive backfield has the potential to be a lot better. Right. And those are two of, them, one of, two of the most important, you know, groups of the team. Uh, so that makes me feel really good. I'm thinking that, you know, I haven't heard anybody say this yet, but I'm thinking that maybe Evan Ingram joins the wide receiver group, or at least effectively like de facto wide receiver. Right. He's such a matchup nightmare. Uh, I'm not sure how much longer we keep Brett Ellison. He didn't seem to have such a great year last year, and I feel like that's a position that, you know, a blocking tight end that can also catch would, would really be nice. Uh, and, and I think that we 
have a pretty good young nucleus. I'm hoping we can trade for Blake Martinez for the from the Packers because I think we need more speed at inside linebacker. I know they need uh, a cornerback because they're not so thrilled with Kevin King, their starting cornerback. And I'm thinking that by the trade deadline, that would be a good place to send um, Jinnar Jenkins in exchange for Blake Martinez. Martinez is last year in his rookie deal this year. And we have some money next year. We have a lot more money next year than Green Bay does. I don't think they can afford him next year, given how many. You know, they're pretty top-heavy with you know four or five really expensive people. At the you top. should understand one thing about Jenkins. Betcher said the other day, and he was emphatic about it. Jenkins has really taken the bull by the horns and become the big brother to all the other young corners and young defensive backs on this team. He has taken a leadership role. Betcher said he thinks about going over to uh, to correct something, and he doesn't have to because Jenkins has already taken care of it on its own. Janoris Jenkins is not going anywhere this season. Now, if you want to tell me economically, after the 19 season, economically the numbers may indicate that it's more likely or at least possible for you to jettison him, you could talk in those terms. But he's going to be well, on this team in 19. The, at the trade deadline, because I agree. I think he's really, really essential now. But by the trade deadline, you know, and obviously it depends on what our record is and what the Packers' record is, but it looks right. like by the trade deadline, those young bucks are ready to go. Uh, I don't, you know, and like I said, the Packers probably can't afford Martinez next year. Uh, and we would have paid most of Jenkins for this year already. Uh, if the I, Packers I, look <laughs> like they have a shot to win and, okay. and, and replacing Kevin King with Jenkins pushes them over the top, I can see them being interested in that move. As and Carl I think Banks Blake Martinez as, makes us a lot better. As Carl Banks says on Twitter, things to tell Gettleman, right? But I, but I honestly <laughs> believe the Giants think that they're going to be in a race. I think they're going to be. They probably believe, and and I think it's justifiable that they'll be a very competitive team throughout the season. And at that point in time, when the deadline arrives, they're still going to be very much in the mix for a potential wild card spot. So oh, I don't oh, think I at agree. that point you're I, going to make a deal. We wouldn't be in the mix. I was saying that Blake Martinez makes us. He, he's one of the highest rated. PFF has one of the highest rated uh, pass covering inside linebackers in football. And I understand. And our Achilles heel. I understand. So I'm saying if if Jenkins has done his job of raising these young cornerbacks to the point where we can afford to lose him, is what I'm saying. Then that makes both teams better. I I, I understand. It's a, a, a hypothetical, and and I think if the Giants are in deep trouble at that point, they'll certainly be looking to move whatever they can move. To your first point, the Giants were were 16th, right smack in the middle last year in offense. By the time the season ended, averaging 23 points a game. Defensively, they were 23rd, allowing 26 points a game. Well, I was just talking to Lance before the show, and you you believe the offense is going to be better, and so do I. It would not shock me if they average as much as 26, 27 points a game. That would not shock me. And that's probably going to put them somewhere in the vicinity of the top 10 to top 12 in the league. Defensively, it's hard for me not to believe with all of these new faces that they're bringing in on defense, aggressive, young, upside talent, it's hard for me to believe they're going to give up 26 points a game and still rank 23rd. I'd say if they could get somewhere near the area of 15 or 16th in the league to get somewhere in the middle, and I don't think that's too far to ask to rise about eight spots in the rankings, that's not a lot to ask, okay? Get, get, get it down to somewhere where they're giving up about 20 a game, 21 a game. Well, all of a sudden, guess what? That means the Giants are probably going to be sniffing the playoffs. 
Oh, absolutely. I expect us to be there. I expect, and, and, and there's nobody in our division that puts the fear of God in me. Like, who, you know, one or two key injuries to somebody like Ezekiel Elliott or... Well, uh, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, an injury, like an injury at the right, wrong spot to the Giants is going to prove fatal to them too. Because while Gettleman's done sure, a great sure, job sure. rebuilding his starting twenty-two, the Giants right. have some we thin have positions. Well, and the bottom line is, there's been a lot of turnover in this division. Nobody's won back-to-back right. division titles since the Eagles won four in a row in the early two thousand. So, I mean, no matter what shape your roster is in, if you're in the NFC East, I think everybody feels, hey, we got a chance, at least in the early stages of the division, because the Eagles weren't able to duplicate their success, and the Cowboys weren't able to duplicate themselves. So Dallas, I think, has had the greatest success in the short term because they've won three division titles in the span of five years. But Dallas also right. hasn't been able to duplicate and repeat the following season. So that's all more of a reason why I think every team should at least feel, hey, we got a shot going in. Let's play our cards right. See what happens. FYI, Washington. And our schedule is not that bad. I mean, I, I think we win at least two games in the AFC I think we play Tampa Bay again. We play Arizona again. You know, we, we should. Oh, I know. We, we we should be competitive with at least Detroit from that division. Second easiest schedule based on last year's winning percentage, which, which is always absolutely nothing. It's always yeah. uh, a very, very weak stat to cite, but it's an easier schedule than last year, and I, I find it hard to believe it's going to be harder than last year, whatever it turns right. out to be. Back to the point about the defensive points, though. You're talking about Washington, Pittsburgh, and Detroit all gave up about 22 a game last year, and they were 15, 16, and 17 in defense. So that's all right. we're asking from this team. You know, can you give up four points less per game on defense to get right. to the middle of the pack? That's not a lot to ask. Well, I, right. And honestly, not even – I mean, the points per game is great, but it's really when they give them up. No he question. Walked off, Eli walked off the field, as you have said many mm-hmm. times, three times last year. Four times. Four minutes left in the game in the league, and we lost all three of those games. Yep. So, it's, it, I don't care if they give up 30 points as long as they don't give up the, the points. I hear you. The game uh, well, it's about yeah preserving those victories and, and appreciate the right. phone call, Clay. I mean, you think about the Indianapolis game. You think about the Philadelphia game. Those are two games that certainly come to mind. And on the flip side, though, there were other games which were close. The Tampa Bay game, which I think got a little bit closer than they would have hoped here at the stadium where the Bucks made the change to Jameis Winston. They made things interesting. If it wasn't for that interception at the end, who knows? Maybe Tampa Bay gets in field goal range. Three things you have to have in terms of units that have to be strong for you to achieve the core elements that you need to be a playoff contender. Offensive line, Giants have greatly improved. We, we already know that. Okay, so if, if the Remmers thing goes through, greatly improved. Okay, secondary looks to be greatly improved on paper. Pass rush, that's the question mark. And anybody out there who wants to take shots at the Giants and say, you're crazy, they, they're not a playoff team, they're not going to make it, the one place they can attack is where is the proven pass rush. They're relying on Carter to step up. They're relying on Golden to return to form before the, the knee injury. And they're relying on, on X-Man, a rookie from Old Dominion, to provide some sense of pass rush. That's where the Achilles is right now on this team. It is it is strictly a big question mark. And that is a key element that you have to have. Absolutely. Well, And that's the Achilles. If people want to attack and say the Giants are not going to be a winning team this year, that's the place, that's the place you have to criticize. Well, the other 
emphasis on the defense, which I think they've addressed, but it's still a question mark because you have a lot of unproven commodities, is the secondary, specifically the cornerback position, not the safety I position. I think there's so a lot of talent right there. I do, right, too. Right I don't now. disagree, but until these guys get on the field and produce, to, it to is. make a bold claim that they're fine and that you know exactly what you're going to get out of this cornerback group, I think is extremely I've, misleading. I feel better about the, the secondary than I do right now about the pass rush. Okay, and look, I can't disagree with you. There's nothing only because I think I, can the table, I think but. that the talent that they've accumulated appears to be the raw talent appears to be much more plentiful in the secondary than it does in the pass rush mode. I get that. One other thing that I just wanted to piggyback off of the last caller before we head to the last one or two phone calls we have, in terms of that hypothetical trade. Just keep in mind, most of the trades that Dave Gettleman has pulled, regardless of where the team stands, is usually to gain future assets, Paul. Yes. As opposed to grabbing a guy that has an expiring contract. Now, you can make the claim, well, if you're in it, in the thick of things at the trade deadline, you'd maybe sacrifice because you want to gain another key player, but you're not making moves just for 2019. You're making moves for beyond that. At least that's what Dave Gettleman has proven to me, that he's not just thinking in a small sample size. He's thinking for multiple years, and Blake Martinez just used that player. He's got an expiring contract, so then you're going to have to give up assets. You're going to have to give up a player to get him, and then if you want to retain him, you got to give him a new contract. One other news note that came to fruition the other day, and I'm not sure exactly what day it came out, but it was NFL.com's estimate, and again, we put that in quotes, guesstimate that the Giants will get comp picks in 2020, a third-rounder and a seventh-rounder. That's the guesstimate. And we always warn you all every year. We warn you you that that the guesstimate uh, often is not exact. But that's where the guesstimate is because of the free agents that came and that left. The Giants could get what appears to be, based on NFL.com, a third and a seventh compensatory in the 2020 draft. The third could be very valuable. It just depends on the production of those free agents that have come and gone, too. So that's why a lot is still up in the air. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Ralph in Neptune. Ralph, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, what's going on, Lance and Paul? Doing very well, Ralph. What's on your mind? All right. Yeah, I just had a thought and a a question real quick. Uh, Sure. Remmers, do you think think he's automatically going to start? Say the signing is official, that is. Is he automatically going to start or is he going to have competition? Well, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show. You're right. It is unofficial. So in the event that it does become official, I think he's going to compete. And I don't think he's going to be handed a starting job automatically. I think that the whole point of bringing in a free agent with his experience, even though he should be in the driver's seat to win the job, I still think it's to push guys like Wheeler and to push some of the other guys so that they don't think that they're just competing within themselves. They've got to prove that they can be better and more consistent than a proven veteran in the NFL if they want to be the starting right tackle for the Giants. I think that's part of the rationale in trying to bring in a veteran free agent. I mean, you'd like to consider him having a nose up on the competition, but he's absolutely going to have to win it. You don't just hand it to him. Got you. And um, my other thought was, um, do you guys agree that the league or even the media might be biased on how they how they rate people? Honestly, I see them as picking favorites because they've been bashing Eli for years for playing behind that line that he's been playing for. But uh, 
You you're asking me? Well, yeah. <laughs> you're asking Paul's me? Paul's the wrong guy to ask, Ralph, because you're basically, you're like singing beautiful music to him with the words that are coming out of your mouth. I was actually going to wait to hear you finish because I, I wasn't exactly sure. Are, are, is your claim here that you think that the media has bias against specifically the Giants or there's other no. things that you were going to bring up? No, they bias against whoever. It's whoever their favorites are, and they, they like to pick whoever they want to pick. My point is you could use that example because – Josh Rosen played behind. I know he was a rookie, but he played behind a horrible line. But I don't Very think anybody's talking about Josh Rosen's talent declining or anything like that. I know he's younger than Eli, but it is what it is. You play behind a horrible yeah. line, your play is not going to be the same. My I, friend, I, let me ask you a question, and this is going right to the core of the situation. If you see a significant headline attached to a quarterback, especially a guy like Eli Manning here in New York, you're going to click on that story, aren't you? Of course. Of course you are. That's all you need to know. <laughs> well, Clickbait click 101. Just to expand a little bit upon what you were throwing out here, Ralph, th this is what I will say. First of all, we all have biases because we're all human. So I think that yeah. goes without saying. And members of the media are human beings the last time I checked, at least most of them. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So okay. therefore, th there's going to be biases aligned with that. I, I think, and, and Paul alluded to this somewhat, my problem with a lot of the coverage, and it's not just for the Giants, it's for every team because I sure. see it from covering the league, is sure. that there are narratives that develop out of convenience without the proper context. So you brought up exactly. a great example, Ralph. When you tell the story of Josh Rosen's season in 2018, the Cardinals did not have a good year. Josh Rosen only played 14 games. But if you were to evaluate Josh Rosen's play, you have to include the offensive line being plagued by injuries, the offensive line not being fully ready to help a rookie quarterback, the lack of a consistent running game because they didn't utilize David Johnson very well. All of those things are important. Like, you may not be a big fan of Josh Rosen, but at least tell me, hey, Rosen didn't put up great numbers, but this is what he dealt with. And then, you know what? I will respect your opinion. I'll say at least I have somewhat of the complete story. If you just throw out a headline, Josh Rosen stinks, well, and it doesn't provide proper context, then it's hard for me to put a lot of substance in that story. So I feel as if, I don't know if it's so much bias. I just feel as if we have a media that placates to, and, and, and we're all guilty of this, where we don't want to sit through and read a full article. We just have the attention span of reading a headline. We want instantaneous gratification, and we don't look for the context. But we need the context in order to tell the whole story. My, that's how my, I see My it. friend, that's why we're here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, to try to peel back the layers of the onion, which is one of my favorite phrases. Because nothing <laughs> in football, nothing in football is isolated into a bubble you got to peel back the layers of the onion to get to the core of all the different factors that determine what it is that you're seeing. And unfortunately, most people don't want to take the time to do that. They take, yeah, the, la the, they take the lazy way out, yeah. and they just throw darts. What are you going to do? All right. Um, thanks, guys. Um, hey, you got it, Ralph. Have a well, great day. Appreciate the phone call. And a fair question. And... You know, I thought he was going to go down the road of giving us some rankings that he saw, which I hate. I hate those nah, conversations. Nah, nah, he was I couldn't care less about rankings. Because he's, he's too smart for that. No, I'm not blaming him. I thought it was a good discussion and a very fair question. But don't read into any rankings that these media outlets put out. They don't tell the whole story. And also, a lot of media outlets put out rankings because they want you to click on them. And everybody needs something to talk about during the course of a very lengthy offseason. With that being said, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running tomorrow with our program again at noon Eastern, fielding your phone calls, discussing the latest with respect to the Giants. Just to emphasize once again, Mike Remmers, the reports are out there, but nothing is official. 
And until something comes official, we cannot talk about it within the context of it being that he is a member of this roster. So just at least be prepared for that. There's nothing on the website as we speak of because it's simply rumors and speculation at this point. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.